uprisings all over the country and maybe there will be people need to start taking to the streets this is a dictator's enemies of the state show me where it says that protesters hey 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 welcome everybody to the rebel alliance podcast my name is aaron and I will be your host for today. As always, we're running a little behind. If you were on the website today, I think it was hacked or something. I don't know. There's some garbly goop across the top that I'm trying to figure out right now with the specialist. So I might have to start looking for a new hosting platform. But that being said, today we are talking private membership association overview for 2024. And this is going to be kind of a overview for anybody who's looking to get into an association to start an association might be wondering what a PMA is. Here's hearing the terminology tossed around online. So Grab yourself a cup of coffee with me, sit on down, and let's discuss associations. But before we do that, let's take care of the housekeeping. So as always, if you're looking for more content, past episodes, you can catch them here on YouTube, Rumble, Facebook group, or even uh, you can uh, go over to East Coast PMA and you can get more content over there. You can also get DIY templates if you're looking to start your own association and not quite sure where to start when it comes to your founding documents, which we'll talk a little bit more in a little bit here. And then you can also go over to the PMA Manifesto. We've got our free monthly call coming up uh, this week. So uh, yeah, this week, I think it is. So get over there, join the Facebook group, uh, the PMA Manifesto. We let people in every Wednesday to the group once we kind of vet them. So you will know of uh, when the uh, next uh, video call is going to be. Jump on and get your questions answered. And we also have the video chat for uh, the inner circle group, uh, which is coming up. So that being said, um, let's get into uh, some other things here. Dog just came in and bothered me. Sorry about that. Uh, one other thing, uh, if you're looking to support the show, please do. Uh, there's some links over at the East Coast PMA that you can use, whether it's Liberty Dollar Financial Association or any of the links on the right-hand side. And then if you're looking to take back your computer sovereignty, maybe you want to be a little more private online in what you're doing, maybe you have a community where you want to set up actual end-to-end -end encrypted text messaging, you can head over to the good people at Start9. You can pick up one of their servers. And if you use the code, Code Rebel Alliance at checkout, you get 9% off. So now that the housekeeping's done, let's turn on the chat. Feel free to jump in and let me know where you're from and let me pull up some notes here so we can get through this stuff. Um, first thing we're going to go over today, and I'm going to try to do this all within 30 minutes. So bear with me if I talk a little fast, but we're going to dive into some definitions, things that I normally get asked a, uh, about when we start talking about unincorporated associations or PMAs, as they're commonly known here on the online universe. And, you know, kind of like what is a public corporation? What's a private, what's private law? What's public law? What does it mean? To, you know, what's the actual legal definition of private? private property versus public property, because that comes up a lot. You know, um, what is a private person, which we're kind of going to touch on when we talk about, um, uh, what is it here, the uh, private, the definition of private, and then um, persons. That's another term that comes up and gets tossed around a lot. And then we're going to jump into some other stuff. So that being said, let's dive right into these definitions. So this all comes out of the um, 
Black's Law Dictionary, the majority of this. So if you pick up a copy online, I think there's a copy to download in the Telegram group and maybe even on East Coast PMA if the website's back up and running properly. But uh, a public corporation is one created by the state for political purposes and to act as an agency in administrating the civil government generally within a particular territory or subdivision of a state and is usually invested for that purpose with subordinate and local powers of legislation such as a county, city, town, district, you know, that sort of thing. Um, They're also sometimes called political corporations, and that's from People versus McAdams. So uh, a public corporation is one that's just public. It's not private. Um, So when we look at private corporations or... um, Anything like that, because, you know, this comes up a lot like, well, what's the difference between a public and a private corporation? A private corporation are those funded by and composed of private individuals for a private purpose as distinguished from government purposes and having no political government franchises or duties. And that's in uh, Santa Clara County versus Southern PAC. Uh, When was that? I don't have the date on that one. But um. So the true distinction between the public and private corporation is that the former are organized for governmental purposes and the latter is not. So when you start talking about private corporations, public corporations, public property, private property, you're going to kind of see a theme here where one is by private individuals and the other one is either maintained or owned by the town. So I get asked, well, what's private law? So uh, basically private law is anything that happens between two individuals. So as used in contradiction to public law, the term means all parts of law, which is administrated between citizen and citizen, or which is concerned with the uh, definition, regulation, enforcement of rights in a case where both persons in whom the right inheres and the person upon whom the obligation or incident are private individuals. So Private law is like if I have a dispute with my neighbor, there's something private there and we're going to handle it a certain way as opposed to uh, public law where it's more corporations are involved, the state might be involved, that sort of thing. Um, And this is where we talk about public law, law that covers administration, constitution and criminal acts. It controls the actions between citizens and the state. So that's the main difference. Private is between two individuals. Public is between the citizens and the state or the state itself with another state. Um, It deals with the government operation and structure. So then we get into, okay, well, what is private? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, I know what it means, but how, how does the law look at it or how is it defined in legal terms? And it's affecting or belonging to a private individual as distinct from public, generally not official, not closed with office. And that's people versus Powell. And that's basically saying that if you are a private person, you're not, you know, the mayor, you're not town councilman, you're not acting in that type of public capacity. You're just an individual that's not closed with clothed with office. And then we get into private property and public property. And again, this is going to be where we start to see that the public property is stuff that's controlled by the state, by the town, the county, your local government. So private property as protected from being taken for public use, so it's not open to the public, is such property as being absolutely to an individual, uh, belongs absolutely to an individual and of which he has the exclusive right of disposition of the property for a specific fixed and tangible nature capable of being had in possession and transmitted to another, such as a house, land, and chattels. And then public property, the term is commonly used 
as designative of those things which are public and therefore considered as belong, being owned by the public, the entire state or community, and not restricted to the domain of a private person. So again, think of your library, your town hall, your public schools, anything that the, the state or the local government um, takes care of. Now, that could also be real property and chattels and stuff like that. So um, the last thing, and then a private person, again, is just you know an individual who's not uh, encumbered with an office, uh, persons. Now this is where you start to get a little bit of the fringe stuff going on and some of these other groups that you'll hear about. And it could be a person, uh, basically of two kinds, natural and artificial natural person is a human being. An artificial person includes a collection or succession of natural persons forming a corporation. So some corporations are looked at as a person for lawsuit, because let's say there's 15 people that run this company be very hard to sue well not that you couldn't but you wouldn't want to sue all 15 you want to sue that one company and have the company pay you for any uh wrongs that were done so um that being said um a corporate uh a collection of property which the law uh attributes the cap uh, capacity of having rights and duties the later class and are of artificial persons is recognized only to a limited extent in our law examples the estate of a bankrupt or deceased person. And then also um, this comes out of the uh, Lancaster company versus uh, Trimble. And um, basically, you know, if you have, I'm trying really hard not to say, um, uh, if you have a corporation that might be looked at as a, as a legal artificial person where the corporation would be sued. So like if I was, you know, if I had ABC corporation, and there was me and 10 others, you would sue the whole corporation because it would be looked at as an artificial person. So um, those are some of the definitions and some of the questions I get when it talks about associations. And um, then did it again. Every time I, I do it, I have to like put a dollar in a jar, I think, and that'll get me to stop. So the next thing I want to pull up here is some stuff out of the six American jurisprudence, uh, second edition associations and clubs. And I believe this is also on the telegram group. If you want to download it yourself and read it or on East coast PMA, if it's not, you can't find it. Let me know in the comments and I'll make sure I get it up there. Now, an association or unincorporated association, this is how it's looked at legally. An unincorporated association is a bodies of persons acting or joining together without a charter for the, um, uh, for the common purpose, for a common purpose. Uh, it's kind of hard sometimes with one eye here. Uh, common purpose, objective, interest, or enterprise under a common name or mark. It is created and formed by the voluntary action of the members or individuals associating themselves together to accomplish uh, accomplishment of some lawful purpose, civic or nonprofit in nature. Although commercial profit or business purposes are recognized, the lawful activity mean uh, a lawful activity may not be a requirement of an unincorporated association. So uh, it also goes into that unincorporated associations are looked at as partnerships and may include a constitution, bylaws, regulations, and rules, uh, contractual in nature. And this is why when we talk about uh, associations, that it's really a, it's it's a contract or an agreement between you and your members and. That's why it's important that if you're getting together with a group of individuals, let's say it's to do more, learn more about homesteading or to live a more holistic lifestyle, you want to make sure that if there are any disputes that come up, if there's anything with um, uh, 
within the association that all this stuff is, is formulated and laid out in your bylaws. And that's why we tell people that, hey, listen, you don't need to hire myself or the ladies over at the PMA Manifesto. You can get the DIY templates if you want to roll up your sleeves and, and do it yourself. Or you could, you know, write them completely from scratch. I would highly suggest not getting examples online because some of the stuff out there is pretty bad from what I've seen. And I've had to do a lot of rewrites for people and um, also make sure you know who you're spending your money with. I've had a few this past week that have used this one organization I will not name, but they charged, uh, you know, a pretty penny. And then once that money got transferred, that's, they wouldn't answer any more questions. They wouldn't return emails. And so luckily for some of these people that are in my state, so I can help them out. As much as I can, I can't provide legal or tax advice, but I can say, hey, this is what I would do based on the situation. So now this is one part that you don't hear a lot of, and this is still from the uh, jurisprudence. Uh, the uh, An unincorporated association is not a person or natural person. At common law, an unincorporated association is not an entity. Now, this just bear with me here because this changes a little bit near the end. And this is why we say it's important to talk to somebody because associations are looked at differently in each each state. So I always say it's your geographical location will determine a lot about how the association is looked at where you are. As it has no distinct uh, distinct from the persons composing it. In some jurisdictions, an unincorporated association does not exist as a legal entity apart from its members. The unincorporated association is its members and the members of the association. Other jurisdictions recognize that an unincorporated association may exist as an entity distinct from its members. So that's important, especially if you were ever in any type of lawsuit or let's say you rented a, a spot for your association and the association fell apart. Maybe members left. You didn't have the funds now. Is it the association that's being sued for money that's owed? Or is it the members that run it or the individual members collectively? So it's important to understand what, you know, your or how your state looks at it, because that's why sometimes we say it's important to have a LLC managed association, because now you're bringing in some of that protection of the LLC, which you can do anonymously through Wyoming or having an unincorporated business trust set up in the business trust handles all the financial aspects and kind of holds that association as an asset. So again, in some areas, you might have it be very distinct from its members and in other cases, it may not be. Uh, let's see, is there anything else I wanted to touch on here? No, in this document, you can get right on East Coast PMA or the PMA, Manif uh, not the PMA Manifesto, East Coast PMA or the Telegram group. I don't think I've uploaded this to the PMA Manifesto. Now, this next stuff comes out of the Constitutional Law Desk Book. And again, all this stuff, you can go to your local law, law library, if I could talk, at your local courthouse. That's where ours is. It's in a couple of towns over, town over, maybe 15 minutes from me. 20 minutes and I can go in there. I can go up to the law librarian and say, Hey, I'm looking to get some information on unincorporated associations. Specifically, I heard there's some information in the constitutional law desk book. Can you show me where that is? Because that's where I found this originally before I went out and bought my own copy. And then they can point you in the direction of the jurisprudence because there's a thousand books in there and they can say, okay, you want this book in this section. And then you can read up on the stuff yourselves. And, you know, there might even be some examples in there that you could utilize for creating your own documents if you wanted to do something like that. Um, I think there is on the, don't quote me on that. So when you look at the constitutional law desk book, this is where we start getting into, well, how is our right of association protected? Where does it come from? Now, most of the times you'll hear that it's the first and 14th amendment, but the constitution doesn't, um, 
what's the word I want to look for? Doesn't really come out and say association, but it's the right of assembly. So here we have section 810 association right to the legal right of a group of people acting together to advance a mutual interest or achieve a common goal. The right of association is not expressly protected by the First Amendment. It is derived from the safeguards for expression and assembly contained in the First Amendment. So that's important to understand. So just when you hear somebody say, oh, well, it's the First and Fourteenth Amendment. Well, okay, great. But how is the First Amendment? How is that protection being drawn out of there? And so um, the utility of association as means of achieving a political and social goals was acknowledged by the Supreme Court in NAACP versus Alabama 1958. And this document, I believe, is also on East Coast PMA and the Telegram group. It might be on the Facebook group. If it's not, let me know. I'll upload it for you. But this is basically where it starts to go in and say, okay, well, this is where the Supreme Court came out and said, okay, in 1958, there was a, a lawsuit brought on Al from Alabama basically saying that, you know, the NAACP is, is not, uh, I believe it wasn't incorporated in that state. So they wanted to know information on the members and being that time period that would probably really hurt the NAACP at that point in time. So the court struck down a state membership disclosure requirement in uh, NAACP versus Alabama because the regulation adversely affected the ability of the NAACP and its members to pursue their collective efforts to foster beliefs, which they admittedly have the right to advocate. So that's important. So as you start gaining knowledge in associations or you start having, you're running your own unincorporated association, or maybe you're running a ministry or a church, all this stuff comes into play and you need to understand how to articulate this when you are being challenged. Because if you, and I hate to say this, but there's a lot of people out there who say, well, you're just not in their jurisdiction. You're in the private. You don't have to answer. Listen, you get a cease and desist. You get a letter from the early childhood uh, licensing department or um, uh, I think they call them like CSP in some states. We have the uh, uh, we have a group here. Uh, why I'm it's skipping? It's slipping my thoughts right now. Who it is? Um, but you know, uh, if they show up knocking on your door because they think you're running an unlicensed childcare facility, then you need to understand how to answer them and where to show them that no, you're not. This is how you're operating, and it's and it's legally and lawfully uh, being done properly. Um, Department of Children and Family Services, DCF. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, so that's an important case. Now, when you go to the law, um, constitutional law desk book, it really goes into the significance of it, which I'm not going to read here now. And then it brings up another case, Whitney versus California. And that was in 1927. So we can start to see that, okay, there are constitutional rights here. We are allowed the right of assembly. And that brings us into the First Amendment, Section 240, Enjoining Assembly. So this basically goes over a court case where um, the, let's see here, basically has to do with uh, conclusion of a speech and a rally and stuff like that. And they wouldn't, um, sorry, the kids just walked in and it just skipped my, it just made me lose my train of thought. Um the, the, there is an insufficient assurance of the balance of analysis and careful conclusion, which are essential in the area of the First Amendment adjunction. And basically, um, sorry, I should have shut my office door if it gets loud, but um, uh, the, um, 
the National States Rights Party was basically it's a, it was a rally that had to do with uh, racist comments, anti-Semitic speeches were made. And basically, the local government tried to shut them down and said, no, you couldn't do this. But, you know, as we know, they have the right of uh, uh, freedom to assemble. So if if you allow one group to assemble, you have to allow all the groups to assemble, whether you like them or not. Right. So I could be in a Christian group assembling for a common goal or for a rally. And you have the Satanist Satanist right next door and you still have to let them assemble. So um the next one in this is Section 241 of the Constitutional Law Desk Book, which has to deal with the freedom of association. And again, it brings in the NAACP uh, court case and examine the nature of the constitutional protections for freedom of association. And um, going through that, uh, again, Alabama sought to enjoin the NAACP activities with the state because the association had failed to comply with statutory requirements. So you have this one association that didn't comply with statu- statutory requirements that all out-of-state corporations file certain information. And so the court said, no, they don't have to because they have their right of association and their right to privacy. So Basically, the association refused to close such a list and was cited for contempt and fine. The Supreme Court reversed the contempt and judgment unanimously. The court opinion provided the foundation of the concept of the constitutional right of association. So that was one of the first court cases that we can look at where they actually talk about the right of association and protecting the member's interest. And... Um, Alabama argued that the NAACP could not assert constitutional rights pertaining to the members, but the court found that the association's nexus with them is sufficient to permit that that in an act as their representatives. The court determined that, in fact, the NAACP is the appropriate party to assert these rights because it is because it and its members are in every practical sense identical. So this is where you have a group coming together. For a common goal, just like we've talked about, for an unincorporated association, and we now we have the end. Uh, we have the Supreme Court upholding the right of association. And again, all this information can be found at your local library, uh, law library. Just go in, like I said, and ask the uh, law librarian to point you in the right direction. Or if you go on any of the platforms, you should be able to download this stuff. Uh, let's see. Um, and again, this is uh, significant. The NAACP versus Alabama marks the beginning of a new era for associational rights. In similar judgment, you also have Shelton v. Tucker, 1960, that you can look at that's very similar. And there's a few others in here that it lists. What I want to get down to is um, equal protection and privacy. So this is where we start talking about, okay, we have the association. We want to be private with our members. We don't want that tyrannical government overreach, and hopefully it doesn't get too much darker here with the sun going down. Um, It's really cloudy and rainy in Connecticut today. But uh, again, if you're watching, feel free to drop me a comment. Let me know if you have any questions on what we're talking talking about here. And uh, let's continue. Anyway, so equal protection and privacy, that's going to be found in Section 7.5, Right to Privacy. Uh, The right to privacy is a protection drawn from several constitutional provisions, placing certain aspects of life beyond the reach of government intrusion. That's huge, right? Because we want to assemble with our members, whether it's holistic healing, whether it's homesteading, whether it's community building, or maybe it's just you want to have uh, a better education for your children. So you have a private educational association 
or ministry going where you want to have some Judeo-Christian values being taught or whatever it is. We now know that the the aspects, uh, the several consti- several constitutional provisions placing certain aspects of life beyond the reach of government intrusion. The right of privacy was first acknowledged by the Supreme Court. Hang, this is a great one. Griswold versus Connecticut. So 1965 is Griswold versus Connecticut. I'll let you read that case if you want. I'm not going to get all the way into it. But again, we want to understand. And and I would highly suggest that you go and read these cases and you understand them. You can go to uh, CaseMind. You can go to Google Scholar. You can type them in. You can find them. You can read about them. You can read the opinions, the dissertions um, uh, as far as, you know, what the uh, opposition of the Supreme Court or, you know, the court ruling on this and uh, stuff like that. So let me just see here if I can skim through this real fast and find what I'm looking for. So. Uh, so here we go with, um, uh, again, it's going to talk about some other cases as you look through this, uh, the view that the constitution afforded such protections had existed for some time. Uh, and then we have here, uh, Olmstead versus United States in 1928 and justice Brandy's hopefully I got that right. Offered the classic dissent, uh, stating that the fourth and fifth amendment conferred the right to be left alone. So again, now we're not only talking about the first and 14th amendment, we're now bringing in the fourth and fifth amendments as it was talked about here in these cases that we have the right to be left alone. And I really think that's what most of us want to be, especially in this day and age with all the nonsense and the stuff going on. I'm not going to get off topic here, but you know, you get what I'm saying, right? We just want to be left, left alone. And as long as we're not causing harm to anybody, nobody should be up in our business. So uh, Justice Brandy's regarded this as the most comprehensive of rights and the right most valued by civilized men. I couldn't agree more. And then um, uh, let's see, I'm just looking through this. If there's anything else. Uh, No, I think that's it. You guys can, like I said, read this for yourselves. I'll put it on some other spots. Uh, Thank you all for watching. I think there's three of us on. That's not bad considering I'm a little late today and uh, you know, it's right smack dab in the afternoon, but let's see here. Um, This goes into uh, the significance of these cases. And I, I'm not going to get into it right here, but I, the, the biggest part to take away from this, if you look at the constitutional law desk book, where it talks about Griswold versus Connecticut, is that we want to understand that there are several constitutional provisions placing certain aspects of life beyond the reach of government intrusion. And again, if you are doing something illegal in your association, like I've said before, if you're selling drugs out of there and, you know, they're... Um, you know, it's illegal to sell, let's say, fentanyl, cocaine, crack, whatever, heroin, you're going to be in trouble, right? That doesn't give you the right to do whatever you want. You still have to be legal and lawful. So that being said, uh, there's a whole bunch on this that it really gets into that I think, um, you know, I'm going to repost this on most of the places just in case it's not up there. So now that we've kind of understand we have these constitutional protections, we have these definitions of what private is, what public is. Now we get start getting into, okay, well, now I'm starting to understand this. I'm starting to see the benefit of having an association. Now, it doesn't mean that these are ironclad. There's always, you know, these are just a tool in the tool belt, so to speak, or a tool in the toolbox. God, I hate that analogy. But you get my point. Like I said, we've sometimes we use anonymous LLCs and corporations, you know, uh, with uh, 
the uh, unincorporated association. Sometimes you use uh, unincorporated business trust. It's just one way of skinning the cat, so to speak. So let's say you have a conversation with myself and we say, okay, you know what? I'm looking to get started. How can I do this? What do I need? What documents do I need to form? Pretty simple. This isn't like rocket science here. Um, you know, if you want to do the time and put in the energy, you can look all this stuff up. You can go to your law library. Like I said, they could probably get you some examples of things, but you need to have three documents four if you're having a ministry, but, uh, or a church rather. Uh, but on average, it's going to be about three documents and they need to be very detailed and specific. That's why I say it's important to actually talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about and not just copying documents from somebody else that they got them from and they're swapping out names. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is the membership agreement. Now, the membership agreement, there's other videos I've done. You can actually go back in uh, the uh, different live feed videos and uh, podcasts, and you can actually hear when I actually go through each of these documents and kind of almost line by line and tell you what's in them. But you're going to have your membership agreement. This is something that everybody's going to sign in order to become a member of your association, and it outlines a lot of the specifics of the association and remedies should there be any disputes or anything like that and kind of just like an overall view of what your association is about now you're also going to have your bylaws now your bylaws and your articles of organization are the next two documents that you're going to have and each one's a little bit different but they're going to explain who does what like so you might have a, a president a vice president a treasurer and a secretary that's going to be running the unincorporated association what their goals are, what they need to be able to do if somebody else is missing or somebody can't fulfill those roles, how those roles are filled after the initial people are in them, if there's successors, anything like that. And it's going to lay out everything in different sections, whether, you know, how money's spent, where money goes to, what dues are, all that type of stuff, what goals might be set, when meetings are going to happen. All that stuff's going to be in your founding documents, even. I would highly suggest you put in some type of alternative dispute resolution because their whole goal is to stay out of the court system and we want to handle everything internally as much as possible. That being said, the reason for these documents is if you are ever challenged, you can show whoever's challenging you we are operating properly. Now, you don't necessarily need these documents if you're a smaller group, but it does help to set everything up to run smoothly so if there are any challenges, you have those documents in place. Plus, it's a good way to keep track of who your members are and stuff like that. Now, sometimes associations offer membership cards. You can create them yourself. Don't put them online, please, because we've seen somebody recently who I've talked to. They have gotten their membership card. Some detective pulled it offline, used it to get into their association, and they couldn't find their paperwork. and They didn't recognize him, but he had the card, so they let him in. Long story short. Do everything between you and your members in a fence post and make sure that, you know, when you're forming your documents, whoever you're doing this with, either, you know, consult with somebody, myself, the ladies over the PMA Manifesto, watch other videos, but make sure it's reputable people that aren't just in it to make a quick buck because those people do exist just like in any other um, any other space. So once you have your, your documents set up, now you can start bringing in members. Once you have a clear common goal, you know, I always ask, what's your reason for association? Like if you're a plumber and you just want to do plumbing and you just want to be unincorporated, well, I don't think that really makes sense. And you're not going to really have a, a reason for association unless you're teaching plumbing classes maybe, and you don't want to have an LLC, but I, I can't understand why you wouldn't in that aspect. So anyways, that being said, 
um, you're going to start bringing your members, start vetting your members, whether you do an easy, quick little background check on them or it's word of mouth. For us, we started with a core group and then we said, okay, we're going to bring in members, but they have to have a referral from somebody in the group so we know where they're coming from and we have to be able to meet them. And then the association votes on should we let them in or not. Best part is you don't have to do it that way. You can do it any way that you want. It really just depends on how you want to run your association. So once you get, like I said, once you get your documents set up, you get people in the positions that they're going to run things. You start putting out your meetings. You, you know, have regular meetings with your members. Then you can start working towards common goals. You can set all that stuff up. You can get banking and checking accounts and savings accounts and all that types of stuff. Or maybe you want to use an alternative currency like Bitcoin and lightning payments or uh, silver or gold backs or what have you. So there's a bunch of different ways of doing it. It really just depends on your association. So once you have all that stuff up and running, you guys can head off to the races and start having your meetings and everything like that. Now, where I will tell you we've seen some challenges is if you are running a education association for any children or anything like that, um, we've seen a lot of pushback from that. That's because people, you know, the, the powers that be don't want their kids, you know, don't want kids homeschooled. They want them in the indoctrination camps where they can push their viewpoints on them and, you know, all that stuff that goes along with that. The other aspect of, uh, where we've seen uh, pushback with associations is usually zoning. I would try to tell you, stay off a main drag somewhere. Don't rent the building where it's right in front of everybody's face especially if you're doing like holistic stuff or maybe you're doing uh, farmer's markets and stuff like that within your group or, you know, that sort of thing. Again, it's all about being private and not putting it all out on social media and everything like that. So the other spot we see is zoning issues. Usually like, oh, you're not zoned for this. You're having too many people here. Uh, recently, we've seen two fire marshals been poking their heads around a couple associations and, you know, again, if you do not own the, well, if you do not own the building, if it is uh, owned by somebody else, we can't infringe on the rights of those owners, right? We do have to let certain political or uh, officials in, not political, officials in, being one being a fire marshal, because their job is to ensure that, you know, if something does go south, like if anybody remembers that bar in Rhode Island that caught fire and a whole bunch of people died, it was because they were overpacked, they were over capacity. So there are some things to it like that where they need to come in and make sure certain precautions are in place. But that doesn't mean you need to let them in the middle of the day when all your members are there. You can say, you need to schedule time with me. It has to be between this hour and this hour to come through and do your walkthrough. And again, sometimes you get a little bit of a better response if you put on a smile and you're not automatically heading them off and, and batting heads with them saying, well, we're a private membership association. You can't come in here, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes it's easier to say, sure, man, come on in. But you, I can only have you in at like 6 p.m. to 6.30. How long is the walkthrough going to take? Wasn't this done prior to us renting the space with the landlord? Again, these are all the things you got to kind of think ahead of time. Like, how am I going to answer this? Because you don't want to necessarily end up in a, a suit with any town official or, or fighting the state on your right of association. So just kind of keep that stuff in mind. Now, that being said, we are coming up to 34 minutes. I hope this overview uh, was good when it comes to private membership associations uh, and moving forward through 2024. As always, please leave me questions. Uh, I know there's stuff I'm missing. I know there's stuff that you probably have questions too, but I will be more than happy to answer those in other podcasts and videos that we do here Monday through Friday live and sometimes even the weekends if I miss during the week. But that being said, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for watching. And please share these episodes with others who are looking more about 
uh, associations and how to live a more free life in this crazy place we call planet Earth. Thank you, and I will see you on tomorrow's video. Peace. All over the country, and maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. And